Dad, where are you going? Maddie yells out. This is our train. No, this is the purple line train, Maddie. I yell out as I run across the platform to the other train. We need to get on this one. See, it says red line on it. But Dad, they changed. Maddie shakes her head as she runs out from the other train and across the platform to catch up. We made it, I proudly announce. Stepping on board the red line train in time, we're met by a train worker who waves his arms across his body. This is not the red line train. It's out of service, he says. Then pointing to the train we were just on, that's your train, he says. Two steps out from the out-of-commission train, we then look up and helplessly watch the newly rerouted red line train pull away from the station. I look at Maddie and sigh. We missed it. Whoops. Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 34th episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. Biblical detail, historical context that puts you in the action. Really? Maddie says with no small amount of exasperation. That's what I was trying to tell you, Dad. They announced the change of the route, but you were too busy to listen. Too busy to listen? Well, don't be surprised if you've missed it and say, whoops. So, what did that snafu cost us? 18 minutes. And a few weird interactions along the way. Hey, it's Los Angeles at 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. You never know what can happen. And while this incident would not be a life changer by any stretch of the imagination, we do make decisions or live with our indecision that can be utterly life-changing. As we get into today's episode, let me first say how grateful I am that we have reached over 1,000 plays on this podcast. We started back early in December of last year, and we've seen a growing number of you faithfully listen and share this podcast with others. We've also seen a number of people forward this podcast to their friends as an introduction to the Christian faith. I'm truly blown away with how God is using this to make a difference in the lives of others. With great detail, we have storied through Acts since last December, providing our listeners and readers with a slice of what life looked like back in the early New Testament church. While we aim to continue through Acts, we first need to provide a framework for some of the messages delivered by the early church leaders. Today, we'll hit on a passage that will be curiously related to a sermon Paul gives to a synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia. And we will begin to lay the foundation for a much larger subject, the Davidic Covenant. Your job? To see how all the pieces begin to fit into a much larger mosaic. And with that, let's get started. These men have no souls. A woman spits and says in disgust to another. The first looks around to take in the scene in front of them. Slowly they follow a processional of Roman soldiers who go to great lengths to humiliate anyone who violates Roman law. The two immediately are stopped in their tracks when out from the crowd lining each side of the road a man is violently thrown to the ground in front of them. The crowd gasps. 
Those nearby take several steps back from the brutish soldiers and their seemingly unpleasant dispositions. As the dust begins to settle, one of the soldiers hollers at the crowd, Get out of here and mind your own business. Angrily looking around, he yells out, Did you come to see bloodshed? Stick around and it may be yours. Pushing another bystander to the ground, the soldier continues, I said get out of here. A more senior-looking soldier walks from the front of the processional to investigate the ruckus, addressing the angry soldier and assessing the first man laying on the ground in a fetal position. The optionist asks, "What is the matter here, sir?" The angry officer comes to attention. The man carrying the plank is no longer able to bear it, and this bloodthirsty group can't seem to get enough. The optionist peers at the man who lay helplessly on the ground. He then notices another man standing on the side of the road who is removing dust from himself while tending his freshly acquired wounds. Addressing his subordinate, the optionist says, Why do I suspect you're not telling me the whole story? Recognizing his place, the soldier searches for the right words. Placing up a hand, the optionist authoritatively responds, Not a word. You will treat these people with respect. Taking a few steps, the optionist extends a hand to help the man who lay in the road. You, sir, let me help you up. The man in the road looks around to see a hand to help him off the ground. He fearfully stands to take in his surroundings and sees the man who pushed him out from the crowd, sneering at him. He then looks at the optionist who points to a plank laying next to the severely mutilated figure who had been carrying it. What's your name? the optionist asks. Simon, sir, the man says. The optionist then explains. Well, Simon, that man can no longer carry the crossbeam. We need you to do it. You appear strong enough to handle a 100-pound beam, so that's why you've been picked. Picked, Simon thinks to himself. Lucky me. Then aloud, Simon responds, Sir, I'm just arriving into Jerusalem, and I have no connection with what might be happening here. Please, let me go to do what I've come here to do. The optionist looks at Simon, and then at the crowd, and says, so somehow you found yourself curious enough to see what was happening here, and by that you've chosen to make a connection, haven't you? He then looks at the calm but determined soldier. Yes, sir, he says. Taking his eyes off the optionist, Simon peers ahead to see two other naked men, both who have seen capable of bearing their crossbeams. Simon then slowly moves to examine the beam and takes in the grotesquely gashed figure who lay two feet in front of him. He wonders aloud as he gazes at the man's filleted back. Whip, he wonders, obviously. Looking at the multiple deep penetrating wounds, his eyes widen. That whip had shards of pottery attached, he quietly observes. Assessing the beam, Simon then bends down to pick it up. A sliver of wood shoots into his hand, causing him to jolt upright. Pulling his hand back to remove the splinter from his finger, Simon then places his finger in his mouth. Slowly turning his head, he sees he is the center of attention of the several hundred faces that make up the crowd. Suddenly feeling the weight of the impatient stares, Simon ignores the splinter and reaches down to pick up the beam once again. Bending down, Simon cannot help but stare at the naked, bloodied figure that is trying to get back on his knees. Coming to his knees, the figure's eye remained tightly shut as he winces from the pain of each movement. Simon's eyes take in the bloodied legs of the man who finally makes it to his knees. 
Dried and fresh streams of blood streak down his legs and from his... Oh my, Simon thinks. What is that fastened around your head? A tangled mess of thorny sticks circle around the crown of his head, many of which have been forcefully wedged into his head, causing significant bleeding. Grimacing at the idea of standing, the man determines to get off his knees in an effort to stand. His first attempt fails as his body collapses to the side. The impatient soldier threatens more harm should he not stand, causing the man to scramble back to his knees. Looking at the man, Simon clearly sees that he needs help getting up. He then looks around to see that there is no help to be offered. Moving over to the man, Simon then offers a hand to help him stand. The man receives Simon's offer. Slowly and unsteadily, he comes to his feet, his head staring down at his feet. Using both hands to steady him, Simon looks directly into the man's face and sees, What? Simon wonders to himself. What are you doing? Why are you staring at me as if I matter in the timeline of your own demise? Though his face is so bloodied to be barely recognizable, the man gazes intently at Simon and reveals an ever so slight grimace? No, it's a smile. Simon lets out a look of disbelief. How are you smiling at me? Simon says quietly. Seeing him steadied, Simon asks, Do you think you can walk? Yes, the man says. Slowly letting go of the man's disfigured arms, Simon then reaches down to pick up the plank. Standing once more, Simon sees a larger crowd gathering behind and along either side of them. He looks around and then back at the man, he says, Boy, you've attracted a pretty large crowd for this sort of thing. Looking around the two of them again, Simon notices something odd. Sure, there are those who seek out vindication for the wrong this man has done. That's what always happens with these sorts of death parades, he ponders. But there are way too many who appear to be deeply saddened by this man's impending judgment. This isn't normal for a criminal. What is this? It's almost like they... What, he asks, respect and, and wish to honor him. The growing crowd presses in. Hoisting the beam over his shoulders, Simon allows the man to go ahead of them. As the wounded man staggers to step by, Simon sees the crowd move closer to him and wonders, Who are you? The road veers right of the northernmost city walls up a slight grade. Slowing their pace, the man begins to turn around and looks past Simon. Simon also turns to see what the man is looking at, and seeing what appears to be an enormous crowd now, Simon lets out a gasp. A group of women grow closer, many in tears and clearly despairing. Hearing him speak, Simon turns his head back to the man. Daughters of Jerusalem, the man lets out, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. Future days are coming. When people will say, you are blessed to be without children, that you could never have children, that you could never raise or nurture children. Seeing the brutish soldier approaching with a less than pleasant demeanor, the man turns to slowly walk again. Painfully lifting an arm, he points to the hillside to the north and continues, they will beg the mountains to crash down upon them. They will plead with the hills to bury them. 
Observing this, Simon betrays a look of horror as he wonders. This guy, who has already been severely beaten, is about to endure the worst torture of his life. And he's concerned about the fate of those left alive? Something isn't right here. A solitary terebinth tree wildly grows next to the road, and the man steps closer to a low-hanging branch. Grabbing a leaf, he holds it up to examine. Turning to the crowd once more, he holds it up for all to see and says, If this generation does the horrendous things when the tree is green, just imagine what it will do when the tree is dry. Holding a whip, the same brutish soldier loses patience with the man who has slowed the parade. Poised to strike the man, the soldier looks up to see if anyone is looking. Standing next to the criminals who trudge by, the optionist glares at the soldier and shakes his head. The soldier then harnesses his whip and slows his pace, muttering curses towards both the criminal and the commanding officer. He then looks at Simon, who continues to lug the coarse and thick crossbeam. Looks like your king gets a break, he says sarcastically and walks away. Eyes widening, Simon says to himself, My king? What did he mean by that? Slightly picking up his pace to keep up with the man, Simon sidles up to the man and looks at him intently. Hearing Simon's encroaching footsteps, the man turns his face to meet Simon's. With a knowing look, he says, If you only knew. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 37-39. And we're going to stop here for today, folks. What happens when we miss, or better, ignore, the repeated opportunities God places before us? You may be asking, Andy, I thought we were moving through Acts. Why are we hitting this particular passage? And before getting into Paul's extended message in Acts chapter 13, again, I thought we would do well to unveil a very important subject that is near and dear to the heart of God. Curiously, this is a repeated theme throughout the New Testament, yet it often goes unseen and untaught. So, for the next several episodes, my hope here is to paint a clear narrative picture about the promised covenant that God made with David and his lineage. This covenanted promise to David was a subject also near and dear to the hearts of many Jews. Ironically, the coming promised king, the chosen one sent by God to fulfill this Davidic covenant, was rejected by the very ones who greatly anticipated his coming. Why would they reject him? Now that is an important question that needs answering, right? When Paul addresses both Jews and Gentiles alike in a synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, that's inland Turkey, he lays out Israel's history in such a way where the highly anticipated promise that God made to David, the Davidic covenant, is ultimately fulfilled in this man named Jesus of Nazareth. This man is God's chosen one, the rightful heir to the throne of David, and hope for all the world in that he makes it possible for human beings to know and please God. Moreover, this chosen one of God will return as the conquering king, finally aligning the world with God's heart. But they missed it. Whoops. 
So we need to uncover the details of God's promise to Abraham, the house of Judah, David, Israel, and ultimately the world before we tackle Paul's message in Acts chapter 13. That's our goal for the next several episodes, to build the framework around God's promised king who will return and rule the universe. In the meantime, here's my takeaway. How sad is it that we miss out on God because he doesn't fit our expectations? That when God shows up and says, here I am, we then look and say, nah, you're doing things we don't like and will require us to change our lifestyles. Furthermore, how sad is it when we create a sacred culture of ritual and rules, a society that aims to make God happy, and our own religious piety and rigidity creates such arrogance within us that we miss out on pleasing the very one with whom we originally sought after? Crazy, right? Even the deeply religious can miss out on God. We missed him. Whoops. Religious behavior does not make God happy. What makes God happy is when you want what He wants. Jesus goes to His own death, labeled as a fraud, mocked as a king, tortured as a criminal, and killed as a warning against insurrection. Why? Because they missed Him. Whoops! Parents, you may appreciate this. V and I have repeatedly spoken the following words to our kids throughout their younger years. You may have even said these very words too. We can make our choices, but we don't get to choose our consequences. In other words, kids, count the costs before making your decisions. When missing the train, our consequences weren't too severe. We waited 18 minutes longer, and as a side benefit, we became further confused by the, how the trains were running because they changed the routes on each train that we tried to board. Inconvenient, maybe, but it wasn't a big deal. However, there are life-changing decisions we make with much weightier consequences over the long haul. In light of all the decisions we make throughout our lives, there is none as important, as weighty, than the decision to ignore and reject the promised one of God. This is not a decision where we will want to find ourselves saying, I missed it. Whoops. What are you missing? Please know that you have a God that deeply desires for you to know Him and to want what He wants for you and all of humanity. He is a God you can trust to accomplish something far greater within you than you could conceive for yourself. May you want what God wants. Have an awesome week, guys.